We're doing a um, mini-series on resolve to obey and worship the Lord God only. Now, the reason that I've chosen it this way is that we need to resolve ahead of time before things happen because it has been my experience, whether it's in the choice of a spouse or, or moral activity or other decisions, that if you don't set a standard before you get to the situation, you will compromise to that situation. And the world oftentimes wants us to compromise to its standards rather than to God's standards. So we need to set that resolution and that resolve beforehand. And so we took a look last week at how uh, three Hebrew young men chose to only worship God and not the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar and how God delivered. This week, we're going to take a look at another one of those uh, people in the book of Daniel that we learn in children's Sunday school. And part of the problem when we learn things in children's Sunday school, it's not that the lesson wasn't good and it teaches us something, but we tend to think, oh, I know that story. And then we stop paying attention to the story. So I want us to kind of take a look at this in a little more in depth. And so starting with it, it says um, in verse one of, of chapter six, it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners for whom Daniel was one, and that these sea traps would be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. And so what we see is this king who has is developed his kingdom and is setting up at the organization decided that the kingdom of the Medo-Persian empire is, is such that if just one person is overall, then too many things can fall through the traps. So he sets up 120, if you will, satraps, which were leaders like governors throughout the kingdom. And then he set three commissioners over them so that they would look to make sure that they weren't cheating the king and others. And so one of those commissioners was Daniel. Now, Daniel was a Jew. He was not a Medo-Persian. And so, uh, but the king saw the great value in Daniel because Daniel had served uh, honorably and well for Nebuchadnezzar and for Belshazzar. And now this is the third king. And we're going to see, uh, if you keep reading in Daniel, that he serves another king. And Daniel is always distinguished in his service. It says, then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. And so Daniel had succeeded so well that the king goes, I need to, uh, to give this guy a promotion because he's doing such a fantastic job. He kind of reminds me of Joseph. God gave Joseph this ability of great management capabilities, and he's also given Daniel this great ability to manage and govern uh, things. And so 
again, but it is a God-given gift. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Now, see, he wasn't a Medo-Persian, but even if he was, there is this kind of situation that when somebody succeeds, other people become jealous. And so they go, well, wait a minute. We can't let Daniel succeed because then it makes us look bad because he's succeeding and we're not. So they try to find some way to get rid of him. So they conduct an investigation and they find that Daniel is faithful, that he does his job well. There's no negligence and there's no corruption. He's not taking a portion off the top for himself. He is faithful to the king to make sure that the king's business is being taken care of. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Now, Peter in his letters to us talks about that if we should behave ourselves, that we should conduct ourselves according to the law, and that if we find ourselves being persecuted, it should be because we are faithful to God, not because we've done anything wrong. And this is exactly where Daniel is. He's done nothing wrong. And so say, well, we can't, we can't get him on a corruption or negligence charge. But there's something that he does related to his God that we can find advantage to. And if you will, you may very well find yourself in this situation that people will say, let's attack his faith. Let's attack your faith. What is it that you may be weak in? Or what is it that you claim to, to declare? And how can we use it against you? Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. So, we see, and if you will, a conspiracy. It's not a couple of people. The 120 satraps and the other two commissioners come and commit a conspiracy, if you will. They come to an agreement and say, this is what we're going to do. It says, King Darius, live forever. I always, they're, they're always starting off by saying, we want you to go on and on and on. And all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish uh, a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. They know that Daniel is a man of prayer. So they go, we want you to establish this injunction that if you're, anybody's going to pray, or make a petition, they got to do it to you. Because they know that Daniel is a man of faith. And they know that he prays and seeks his petitions to God. So they come up with what they think is a perfect trap. Now, O king, establish the injunction 
and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. And so not only do they get the king to agree because, let's face it, they appealed to his hubris. You're such a magnanimous king and you're such a wonderful king. People ought to just seek you. And if they don't, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den and set up this law because under our form of government, if you sign an injunction, it cannot be changed. No how, no way. And so what they do is, therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. So it prohibits anyone to make a prayer or a request or a petition to anybody other than King Darius for 30 days. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now it was on the roof chamber that he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. So, first off, Daniel knew. You know, we like to say ignorance of the law is no excuse. You know, you may not know something, but the, the government doesn't care. It's a law, therefore, you have to obey it. Well, Daniel knew the injunction. He knew that he was enjoined from doing praying to anyone other than Darius. Now, Daniel didn't start praying. Daniel did what he always did. Well, he went to his rooftop and he prayed toward Jerusalem. Why? Because when Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed that when the people of God backslid and got away from him and they lost the land, that if people would pray toward Jerusalem and the temple, seeking to repent of their sins and asking God to restore the land, that God would hear. So Daniel is praying and seeking God's forgiveness for his people so that they might be restored to the land. So he's continuing to do that as he had always done. But notice, Daniel could have said, you know, it's just 30 days. I'll wait. Now, before I ask you the next question, I want to advise you, I'm going to tell you a story so that you may know that when I point one finger this way, three fingers are going back, okay? Ever since I can remember as a child, I believed in God. But there was a time just before I started high school and just before I graduated from high school, I stopped coming to church and kind of stopped doing anything. I didn't do bad stuff. No, I didn't do drugs. No, I just didn't go to church, didn't think much about God, just didn't care. And my mother was uh, diagnosed with uterine cancer. And the doctor, when she, he told her that she was diagnosed with uterine cancer, asked what she was going to do. She goes, well, I guess I'm going to die because I don't have insurance from the money to pay for the treatment. So in between this time and the time that he was able to get her admitted to the City of Hope and that they 
did the surgery and all the other treatments for a number of years for free. I was angry at God. And I was walking here in Westminster on a street called Wyoming. And I started telling God how unfair and how I thought it was terrible that he would take such a woman that was a good woman, who was a great mother, who I lived as if I were upper middle class with a mother who probably had made enough money to be just above the poverty line. She was not wealthy. But I would have never known it because I was well provided for. And I was angry and I was telling God how that was terrible and why would he do that and, and whatever. And while I was walking, angry at God and telling God what for, didn't hear it audibly, but it was as loud in my soul as if he would have spoken. It's been a while since you talked to me, hasn't it? That's all he needed to say. It had been more than 30 years. I've matured since. Daniel could have said, you know, it's just 30 days. I'll wait. Then I'll start returning my prayer. But as the New Testament tells us, we are to pray without ceasing. Now, sometimes we think, well, that means we're on continuous prayer. And I think that's a good thing. We should be in continuous prayer. Because let's face it, while we're driving, we need to pray because there's a bunch of idiots out there who obviously aren't praying and we need protection. So we need to, we need continuous prayer, but we also need to never cease praying no matter what the situation is. And Daniel goes, I'm not waiting 30 days. So my question to you, how long would you wait to be connected to God, to pray? To worship. It wasn't too long ago that we were told that we could not assemble together. It was okay to go to a big box hardware store and buy stuff, which offended me because I'm going, they care more about their customers than we do about our people. Now, back then, you know, there was a lot of unknown and people had poor mobilities and fear and whatever. But I refuse to accept that we could not worship together. And I find it interesting. We have a constitution that protects us, our rights of worship. But why we, should, we would be surprised about that when the commandments of God are considered just mere suggestions anyway. We didn't start worshiping because they told us not to. We just simply continued to worship. And more and more of you said, I don't want to watch it on TV. I want to come because the scriptures tell us that we are not to, we are to assemble ourselves, not as the custom of some, but we are to do that because we encourage each other. We strengthen one another where there is a aspect to joint worship. Yes, you can worship at home and you ought to worship at home. You ought to do more than just worshiping here. How long is it okay to say, eh, I don't need to pray, don't need to worship, I can wait. Jesus says that we are to dwell in him. We're to get sustenance. 
how we're able to maintain how long could we go without communion with the Islam? And I would say now that I've matured and I've seen the immature me and the mature me, not a single day could we not. Now, currently, prayer is kind of the invoke. And I get a little upset, and, and I know that people are well-meaning, but you will hear people talk about the power of prayer. It drives me crazy, and I try to be sympathetic with those who are meaning well. There's even books about the power of prayer, and, and, and I've, I've given this story before, and I'm, I'll Give it again to get you to understand. I have car trouble and I'm lost. So I take my cell phone and I call you. And I say, I'm not too sure where I am. But my car is broken down. I think I'm in the desert. I'm not sure. And I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. Can you find me and get me? Can you come? You bring me water and an iced tea and food to eat. You bring a tow truck and a mechanic. And somehow you found me and you bring me home. And shortly thereafter, my car is fixed and in my garage. And after that happens, I go, how awesome is the cell phone? The cell phone has power because I used it and all my troubles were taken care. And you look at me and go, you know, when you called me, I saw your number and I answered the phone anyway. Because I know your problem. But I answered the phone. And I came. And even though you didn't know where you were because you were lost, I found you. And I provided for your need. And I brought you home safe. And you're giving glory to the cell phone. How do you think God can do? When we pray and he delivers, we go, oh, the power of prayer. It is not the power of prayer. It is the power of God. Don't sell his glory short. He's wonderful. He's awesome. The mechanism by which we see him is through prayer. And Daniel goes, I'm not waiting 30 days. I'm not waiting today. I pray three times a day, and that's what I'm going to do. And he doesn't know the end of this story. He simply knows by doing this, he's going to be thrown into a den with a whole bunch of lions. But that's his commitment to his God. And ought to be our commitment to that as well. Then these men came by, I'm sorry, by agreement, and found Daniel making petition and supplication before God. Then they, they uh, agreed and spoke before the king about the king's uh, injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be uh, cast into the lion's den? And the king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians. 
which may not be overlooked. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. O king, he didn't just do it once, he didn't do it twice, but three times every day he has made petition to his God and not to you. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until the sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. He's going, I made a mistake. Daniel is a faithful person. And not only is a faithful person, he has been benefiting me because my kingdom has been running wonderfully with him. And he's looking up and he's trying to find all the Philadelphia lawyers and he's trying to figure out a way that he can get an exception to the injunction, but he can't find one. And so he's trapped. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to him, recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So they put it right back in his face. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. What a wonderful statement. Here's the guy who made this stupid rule. Understanding exactly who Daniel is, and the God that Daniel's serving goes, God's able to deliver you. It's not Daniel who says God's able to deliver me. It's the king who gave the orders to have him thrown into. And when we see the little pictures in the book, it's a lion and Daniel. No, no, there are lions and Daniel. It's a lion, apostrophe, S apostrophe, bunch of lions. And he's thrown into lion's den. But the king says God himself can deliver. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Now, I think this is done for two reasons. I think it's done so that everyone will know that no one has interfered, and the king will know that no one has interfered because he's hoping and suspecting that God will deliver Daniel. But these satraps and other commissioners are such devious people. If God was able to save, they might come and try to intervene themselves. Because no one's going in or out. I've got my signet ring on it. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him. And his sleep fled from him. Now he made a statement of faith. God was able to deliver. But this king is very much like you and me. Oh, God can deliver. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? There is this fear and there's this lack of sleep because you're just not simply sure that God is able to deliver. Then the king arose at dawn 
at the break of the day and went in haste to the lion's den. Okay, the order has been done. And you're there. Was God able to do this? Was God able to save them? When he had come near the den to the lion, uh, I'm sorry, the den to Daniel and cried out with a loud voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lion's Now, notice again, the king keeps saying, what's well, God that you constantly serve. You may be in my service, but you continually serve God. And we may be in the service of our employer or whatever, but our service is always to God. And the king, so he goes, what's, what's God able to deliver you? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. Notice Daniel to say, yeah, idiot king, I was able to get through it. Yeah, the, you, you were so stupid that you let other people talk you into it. No, he is, O king, live forever. He gave the same salutation that those who tried to get Daniel executed. Things are fine, king. I'm not upset with you. I'm not upset with anything. Live forever. It's okay. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Not one lion, a bunch of lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also for you, O king, I have committed no crime. I didn't do anything wrong to you and I haven't done anything wrong to my God. I simply sought his forgiveness of my people so that we might be able to return home. And he sent an angel to shut their mouth. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders to Daniel to be taken out of the lion. So Daniel was taken up from the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You see, God just doesn't save you a little bit. He just doesn't, it wasn't like, oh, well, they scratched him or they bit him. No, no, there was no injury. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no uh, singes on their hair, no smoke smell, all was perfect. God completely saved Daniel. Now, I can't promise you that God will not deliver you or me out of a similar situation. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. And the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and had them cast into the, with their children and their wives into the lion's den. So in essence, it says, an eye for an eye, you accuse an innocent man. And as the law of God says, you do that, you suffer an eye for an eye. So you wanted to be, you wanted him to be put in a lion's den. Now you're going to be put in a lion's den with your children and your wives. And they had not reached 
the bottom of the deep before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Now, I'm pretty sure the lions were really hungry and upset because there they had right before them a good meal called Daniel. Because God stopped. So after being teased all night long, they decided they'd have the feast. And they overpowered and crushed and ate all those people who accused them. And notice what happens after that. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land. So Darius isn't good enough to say, well, everybody who's here, he said, he writes a decree, a law, and he sends it out to his entire kingdom. He doesn't matter if you speak Persian or Mede or Greek or Hebrew or whatever it is, whatever language you speak, he puts it in that language. He says, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before, not Darius, but the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be delivered, will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the light. Darius, who had made a law, who said everybody's supposed to pray to him, makes another law and says, you are to fear and tremble the God of Daniel. I suspect it didn't go as well as the satraps and commissioners had expected. Because they expected it to be the end of Daniel. But instead, it was to the glory of God. Now that's why I said, I can't promise you that if you're thrown into a lion's den, that God will deliver you out of that. Just as there were, because I had the opportunity to go to Rome and be in the Colosseum where a number of believers died by being torn apart by lions. The difference is in Daniel's salvation, God received glory. Perhaps in our destruction, God will receive more glory. Because whether we are delivered or not, for his glory. His glory. For he may say, and as in this situation, those who suspect and those who never believe give glory to God. And perhaps in our death, those will say, that person, 
we are not worthy and give glory to God. That's why I didn't call this a series of heroes. Because sometimes it's the heroes who we don't know of. The ones who have gone to the state or to the Colosseum or in a thousand other different ways because of their faith and commitment to God. We need to learn from Daniel. That Daniel could have compromised and said, 30 days, not that I can wait. But he had resolved before that he was going to seek God's forgiveness for his people that they might return to the land. And whether God took him or not, he was committed to the Lord. He didn't say his commitment because he was going to be delivered. He made his commitment because his commitment to God was more important than his commitment to the king. The world is going to seek for us to compromise our faith. It may be because of jealousy. It may be because of hatred. It may be because of a whole different multitude of reasons. But whether he delivers us or not, his word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that he dwells in. So when we find ourselves in the fire or the flood or the lion's den or wherever we may find ourselves in persecution, we know we are not alone. God is there with us. And even if he did, does not deliver us out of the lion's mouth, he would deliver us to his kingdom. And all God's people said, Amen.